I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Deborah Boussier, Chief Marketing Officer at Broadridge. Deborah, thanks for joining. It's great to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me. Certainly. So, Deborah, you came to Broadridge in 2017 with nearly two decades of experience in the financial services industry, having served as Chief Marketing Officer at Ernst & Young. So, let me read back a quote from Chris Perry, our president of Global Sales Marketing and Client Solutions. And this was a quote from when you joined Broadridge. Deborah is well suited to play a significant role in driving revenue, relationships, and reputation as we look to future growth opportunities over the next decade. There was some alliteration buried in the middle of that statement. Can you talk to me about what role those three R's play in your position as chief marketing officer? Absolutely. I think the uh, the alliteration, too, is intentional, right? So uh, having always been in marketing, uh, whether at EY or other firms previously, it's important to show value of what marketing brings to the table. And one way to do that is to show how we can influence revenue and sales, reputation and brand, and then driving client relationships, which is so important. And so I really look at those three pivots when we're looking at all the initiatives or campaigns or activities that we're doing. And I think for revenue, certainly there's an importance around tight alignment to the sales team. And I'd be curious to understand, you know, how do you ensure that in your role as a marketer, but also how do you contribute to lead generation and other activities relative to revenue? That's a great question. Actually, so I've been here about 18 months now. And one of the things we did very differently this year in fiscal planning for our marketing programs was rather than starting with the businesses and understanding what products they were trying to bring to market, this time we started with the sales teams who were responsible for driving sales and revenue. And we said, what products are selling? What can you sell? What are the issues that are top of mind for our clients and prospects? And let us start there. And that really started to ensure this tight alignment between sales and marketing. So we're developing programs and materials, um, social media, videos, et cetera, and so forth, that our sales team can take to market immediately and feel comfortable using. And we've also really done an amazing job more recently in tying our efforts to pipeline generation and lead gen. I think right now we're tracking where marketing efforts are contributing to upwards of 30% of current oh, sales wow. pipeline. So now that we've got some metrics, we're able to tweak our programs. That's really interesting. The ready for next campaign. I'd be curious, um, relative to reputation and campaign, what inspired that effort? It feels like it might have been a byproduct of having you come on board, and I'd love to hear how that how that came together. Well, I wish I could take credit for it, honestly, but I came on board after the Ready for Next tagline had been established, and it was really my role to roll it out, and I feel proud of the way the team was able to come together and do that. Broadridge, as you know, is a very diversified business. We are not just in financial services, but we are in other verticals as well. Um, and it's hard to articulate in a, in a clear way what we do. Mm -hmm. But throughout all of the things that Broadridge does, no matter what industry we serve um, or what product we're selling, all of what we do helps clients get ready to tackle those challenges and be ready for what's next in their marketplace. And so the Ready for Next tagline really resonated across our business and is resonating in the marketplace as well. You know, I said to our leadership team when I came on board, because many of them said, Deborah, how are we going to know when this is working? Mm -hmm. And what are the metrics you'll use? 
And what I said was, truthfully, I'll tell you it's working when I show up at the next cocktail party or a next group of friends and I introduce myself as Deborah from Broadridge and they don't say, what's Broadridge? What do you do? They say, oh, I've heard of you. And it took me about nine months in the job till I showed up, no joke, at a Wall Street Journal Women in Finance event. And I introduced myself and two of the three women I was talking to said, oh, we know exactly who you are. Or we just saw your social media post in the FT. And I was thrilled. I said, you know what? What we're doing is working for sure. Oh, that's great. It's, it's certainly a gratifying experience to, to get that payoff. Absolutely. So I think you've substantiated that the campaign is working. You had rolled out in North America, I think about nine months ago, and then more recently in the last six months across uh, EMEA and Asia Pacific. A any variation in how that message is received um, in different markets? You know, I would say without a doubt, we've seen a major uptick in engagement with our client website, reading our content, content downloads, uh, likes, clicks, retweets, engagement with the brand on all levels. Certainly the differences in each of the markets is obvious, whether it's a different media publication or frankly, even a different language. So it's been really fun to watch some of our um, our social media posts come out in Japanese. And I can't read Japanese, but it's, right. I know, I know, I think I know what it says. It's evocative of what we said in North America. And that's been really, really fun. That's great. And I'm, I'm sure that just getting to see how it's presented in different markets is also really interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so relationship, the third R, this is one that we cover extensively in, in this podcast. And we talk a lot about the, the customer experience and how are you putting your best foot forward as a brand and how that relates to communications ultimately. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear your take on the role of relationship and customer experience through a marketer's lens. Absolutely. I mean, I think everything really comes down to understanding who the client or the customer is what their needs are, and customizing what it is we offer for that client. Customization is important, but personalization is important. And really having that relationship to understand what those clients' needs are is important for not only the client, but to help us articulate all of our services that can help the client. And we've done, um, you know, we, we continue to iterate on our client and customer experience for our clients and customers, whether it's the platforms that they're launching or the number of times they come in contact with our brands, including our sales reps and business unit leaders and product specialists as well. How has the role of the marketer relative to customer experience evolved in the last 10 years, or, or has it? I think absolutely it's evolved. And I think it probably depends a little bit on the industry and on the company. In my role as Global Chief Marketing Officer for Broadridge, I've been asked to also look at our client satisfaction surveys, mm -hmm. which is something that hadn't lived in the marketing and sales world before. It was sitting, I think, in our HR team and ops sure. team and then within our business units. And so for the company to say, you know what, let's take a look at this holistically. What is the customer experience from the minute they get the survey to how they respond to how we respond to the responses that we get, how we do a big roll-up? So I, I definitely think that the role of, uh, of CX is um, is evolving and uh, and has has become a big part of what the marketing role is today. Great. So we covered revenue, relationships, and reputation. Do those cover the expanse of where marketers should be focusing their time? As you know, right? Marketing is everything. I think there's a Harvard Business Review study decades ago about that. 
Meaning from the minute you leave your house to the decision you had about what shoes you're putting on or what overcoat you're wearing to how you present when you open the door into an office, all of that is a marketing or presentation about who you are. Mm -hmm. Same thing in a, on a company level or with a client level. So um, it really is about the full experience, how a customer, a client, a prospect perceives your brand on every single level. But we do focus, as I said, on things that drive sales and revenue, things that help drive and improve our reputation. And those are all, you know, the, the um, you know, marketing 101, some advertising, some social media, conference sponsorships. But certainly relationships are so much more important today than possibly ever before. And that comes down to clients really wanting to understand their clients, what makes them tick, to be able to customize and personalize solutions so that we can offer back to the client something that meets their needs. And that's, you know, exponentially improved since I entered the marketing world decades ago. So, you know, thinking decades ago to John Wanamaker, you know, pioneer in marketing, where he said, half the money I spent on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. Is that, is that still relevant today? Or are the metrics in place now that you feel confident to know that you're not throwing half of your marketing budget away, not knowing where it went? Well, definitely the metrics have improved yeah. since then, for sure. We measure just about everything. And then sometimes we've got the opposite challenge, which is there's data overload. And I don't know which piece of data to interpret or how to interpret it. But more and more, we are looking at data to help inform the decisions that we make, to tweak mm -hmm. the budget, to tweak the message. We're running A and B testing, sometimes A, B, C testing, which is helpful. And I think the rise of digital and social makes things that much easier to tweak on the fly. It's cheaper, it's faster, quicker. And I, I think that parlays into a discussion around the challenges that you face today as a marketer. You know, what are those challenges and how are you solving for them? I think in my role here at Broadridge, one of the biggest challenges is, um, again, we're a hugely diversified business. We were added to the S&P 500 mm -hmm. last summer, um, vast and varied, and 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 can serve many industry sectors on different levels. So for us, the challenge is being able to bring the full firm to bear and solve help solve a client's challenge. That's probably the single biggest challenge we have. We've identified who the clients are that we think have the needs for the solutions we can provide. We do look at other markets and other segments and, and other regions, and we continue to grow our international presence too, for sure. But really, the biggest challenge is getting our arms around what it is we have to, to help our clients solve their toughest challenges. And also taking a look at and being on top of new technologies and being at the forefront of that. We call it the ABCDs of innovation here at Broadridge, right? So artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, cloud computing, digital, et cetera. But we are really on the forefront of all of those innovations and continuing to provide solutions that our clients need today. Excellent. So let me narrow down to the communication space. And one of the interesting things from a study that, uh, that we just delivered was uh, a data point around consumers and taking action from a marketing perspective on buying new products and services based off of a bill or statement message. I saw that. Like 20% of exactly. consumers will actually buy more stuff based on something they saw in their statement. That's amazing. It is. And, and then the question is, how do we 
promote the value of that communication better to a marketer. For instance, I think historically it has been more seen as more of an operational communication. Mm -hmm. But when you have a stat like that, I mean, 20% that have at some time purchased based off of message they saw there, it, it seems to be a pretty powerful statement, pardon the pun, on you know why why you should be thinking of this as a strong communications tool as well. For sure. That's it's really, really strong ROI or ROMI, as it sure. were. Uh, and I think by reminding marketers that there is value in how we are presenting even standard communications like bills and statements to our clients has a value not only to the brand, but to the bottom line revenue uh, really gets marketers' attention these days, for sure. A lot of marketing functions are viewed as back office. And mm -hmm. so anything we can do to be seen as front office and driving revenue is music to my ears, for sure. One of the other things that comes up, looking at those operational silos um, or business silos, rather, where you have operational data stored in one place and you have an operations team that's focused on delivering that communication because it's a bill or statement and it has financial ramifications if you don't get the bill paid. Uh, but then there, there's the marketer who is often running in a separate data silo and you have your own goals and objectives. How would you suggest organizations address breaking down those silos, those barriers to work more collaboratively? It's a big challenge, I think, and a big question. I think it all comes down to knowing who your client or customer is and understanding the customer experience and the customer journey. And once a company can do that and really map that out from the beginning to the end and see all of the different touch points that influence buying behavior, you can see that there's a marketing role to play. There's an ops role to play. There's a technology role at play. And even though those sit in different business units or silos within the organization, is there a way those groups can come together to make that customer experience stronger, better for the good of the organization and the client for sure? I know we're starting to do more and more of that at sure. Broadridge, of course. Um, and as a consumer, you can see where it makes sense, right? Because you can see when you get your statement, this is sent from some different group because my name is spelled one way. Mm -hmm. And then when I get it on mobile, it's spelled a different way. And I think over time, we'll start to see all of those different channels converge and more and more of the groups working out of silos and collaboratively together for the better of our client experience. I think the consumer will drive that in many ways after seeing how good the experience can be with one provider versus another. Right. Another another stat from that report was just asking consumers, where were some of the better relationships that you've had or better customer experiences that you've had and, and where are some of the the worst ones, right? Uh, and the interesting thing in that data was that banking was the, the standout from a, a vertical perspective as having a good customer experience, customer relationship, um, and creating stronger customer communications. And then which are the worst experiences? There wasn't much separation between the different verticals, meaning there's no standout, so that's good. But ultimately, the consumer is kind of saying, you know, ev everybody has their flaws and there's opportunity to improve all those communications. Right. You know, what's interesting is um, both of my adult, young adult children have just left the U.S. for a period abroad, right? So my son's moved to Sydney, Australia for the year, and my daughter's doing a semester abroad in London. So they both needed to set up new banking right. um, to get where they were going. And it was interesting observing both of them 
really complain about the process and how arcane it is, even setting up a new account or the mobile experience, um, you know, because the millennials today have such a different user experience. They grew up, everything was digital, mobile, and they really have a sense on what is easy to navigate, what works well, you know, what communicates well to them. And then when they, you know, when they encounter institutional digital applications that were not developed in the same generation, it's frustrating for them. And uh, and that's just been an interesting recent observation. So I think, you know, it'll, it'll gravitate towards the mean, towards, uh, towards those applications that are customized, that do deliver personalized information mm-hmm. in a way that the consumers want to see it when they want to see it. Um, and we're getting there. We're definitely getting there. I had a um, life insurance company send us three identical direct marketing pieces because we had three overlapping term life policies. The, the marketing campaign was to convert the term life policy to a whole life policy, but they were looking at it from a policy perspective, not a policy holder perspective. Yeah. So three messages arrived on the same day, all separate envelopes. There's some inefficiencies that are driven just by not having a good understanding of the customer and using data that hasn't been rolled up at a customer level because it's still at a policy level in that case. Right. You know, and that's sort of shame on the company for not yeah. being able to get their house in order to do that for you. We had run a design challenge about the future state of bills and statements, right. what they could look like and what could be possible if those bills and statements from different companies really could work together and give you intelligence. And exactly. that's the kind of intelligence and personalization that customers are looking for these days. So so that reminded me of a, another stat, the feedback that one in four of the consumers that we talked to had left a company or stopped doing business with a company simply because they did a poor job of personalizing that experience. Right. So the role of personalization is is really critical and and there's a balance there's a really good example from eight to ten years ago in, in target and i don't know if you know the story on this one but they're they had gotten so good at their analytics that they were able to predict when a uh, woman was in her second trimester and then they wanted to try to convert them to a customer before things got really crazy at home when you bring a baby home and uh, it turned out they were marketing to a 15 year old girl and her father said, why are you sending all of this to me? And that's when he found out that she, in fact, was pregnant. Right, right. So just getting a little too personalized or too creepy. So what they did was they backed off and said, okay, we know all these things about you, but then we're going to put the baby formula next to a lawnmower right. and in, the, in the ad. So it looks like it's completely random, but in fact, you're able to pick out what's really relevant to them. It, it is such an interesting time that we're living in talking about that personalization being a double-edged sword and privacy in general too, right? So you've got people posting their most personal, Mm -hmm. innermost photos and thoughts, you know, for the world to see. And yet we're nervous now that it's out there and what that says about us Mm -hmm. and how other people use that to market to us or do other things with that data. It's surprising to me, actually, that our surveys show that one in four have left companies because of lack of personalization. But you've got to be willing to give over that personal data to get the personalization. And I know personally as a consumer, I try to give as little data as sure. possible. And I like to, to make the choice based on a variety of things. But there are some who say, you know what, when they go on Amazon, they like the things about 
you purchase this, you might also like these things. It makes it easier for them. And I feel like that in some way is limiting the choices that may be out there. Yeah. And and there's a really interesting fine line that you're walking there. Because if I'm marketing to Deborah and you're not giving me anything to go on, and that's your choice, do I say, therefore, Deborah wants to be anonymous, so I will refer to her anonymously, right. dear sir or madam, right? You know, however anonymous you want to be. But then there's a happy medium that says, okay, Deborah's only giving us this much, but we can infer these things based on what we're seeing, whether it's in your transaction data or otherwise, that we can personalize or or maybe just increase relevance. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the balance is make it relevant to me, but don't flaunt that you know me so well. That's right. That's right. Well, a perfect example is it seems maybe counterintuitive, but I'd be more likely to share my full portfolio of financial needs, wants, and issues if someone could intelligently interpret that and then give me some guidance, right? And and for some people, that financial data is maybe the most personal thing that mm-hmm. they have, um, but that would be helpful, right? Because I could inform decisions that I that I that I could make. It give me choices about how I might save or spend differently. From a communications consulting perspective, we're doing some really interesting things where we're we're using a panel of consumers that have opted in to let us shadow them as they walk through their communications. Oh, wow. So there are a million and a half consumers that have opted in to say, hey, if I want to look at this provider's experience, will you let me watch you navigate that experience remotely, but track you know, on your computer and have you talk through what you're experiencing? So, you know, okay, so if our directive was go find your statement, they log in and then the, then you actually hear them verbalizing, okay, I think I would click here for statements because it says account summary. Nope, it's not there. It's over here. Okay, I clicked on statements, but I just still don't see it. Okay, down here it says view e-statements. And you really get inside their heads right, right. relative to where the pain points from a, a user experience perspective are. But also it's really enlightening for the brands when we go in and we say, here's what we've heard and here's what we saw. I'm sure you know a lot of this, but we wanted to create an opportunity for you to hear it firsthand from a consumer that doesn't spend every day thinking about this space. Right. We spend every day thinking about this space. Absolutely. And it really is valuable to then be able to take those insights and say, I think that, well, we understand that you want to increase digital adoption or you want more engaged customers or whatever their objective is. After seeing this, we think that there's an opportunity to redesign this communication and make it smarter, redesign this page. Maybe your digital adoption strategy is a little off. Your marketing message is falling flat. And then we're able to go back in and and retest that experience as we evolve and really create more collaboration opportunity between us and and the end client. And I was going to say, and happier clients at the end of the day, right? I mean, it's interesting. And our study bore this out, right? Which is that if you have a negative experience, that causes you to take some action. And we almost always expect a more positive and better experience. And so it's, it's really stunning and not in a positive way when we do have a negative user experience. If we come back to the role of a brand, let's come up a few levels. Because in everything we're discussing, ultimately it comes back to how your actions reflect your brand culture or your brand ambitions And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Where are we headed? What does the role of a chief marketing officer look like in 10 years? I think um, more and more what is super important 
it's always been important, but now it's more obvious when it's not is if the brand is not authentic mm -hmm. or if the actions are inauthentic to the brand itself. Consumers see it right away. It reflects on sales and brand perception and, and interactions with the brand. So making sure that as a brand, you and your associates, you're walking the walk and talking the talk. Uh, and if we are helping clients be ready for next, we should be using next-gen technology, sure. right? So being authentic, I think, is critical and continues to evolve. Uh, the role of the chief marketing officer also continues to expand. In some cases, you know, there's the MarTech officer mm -hmm. uh, where they're in charge of technology. So it's important that the marketing team and the chief marketing officer is well-versed in technology, broadly speaking. And then also, as we've talked about, it really is the role or the journey of the customer and the customer experience. Uh, how do they interpret you and the brand, their experience? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it neutral? Will they buy more? So really all of those three things are critical. I, I do think also because it's gotten easier to measure that which we do, and so more and more we're able to show ROI to our mm -hmm. leadership teams, that's also elevated the role of the chief marketing officer. So whereas before, I think some of us had to, you know, knock on the door and ask for a seat at the table, now it's assumed we have a seat at the table, sure. right? And we have a voice and a very important voice in, the, in, in terms of the customer and the brand. Well said. Well, Deborah, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been my pleasure. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn.